BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Common Sense. You know, uh, these days we talk a lot about the American dream. And today we have somebody who is the epitome of the American dream, a professional athlete, Olympian, a businessman, public servant. Uh, what else can you be? Many consider him to be the greatest college football player in history. That's pretty special. And he embodies everything that the American Cornerstone Institute stands for, faith and liberty and community and life. And we're honored to have Herschel Walker on our show today. And for those of you who don't know, I'm Dr. Ben Carson. Some of you know me as a pediatric neurosurgeon. Some of you know me as the former secretary of HUD. Uh, Some of you... I hope all of you know me as somebody who emphasizes common sense, logic, uh, using evidence and real data to make decisions. But uh, I'm so honored to have uh, Herschel Walker with us today. You know, he's a good friend. He's a man of faith. He's a true football hero. And Herschel, you grew up like I did, not privileged. Uh, not with a silver spoon in your mouth, but really it was your ethics, your immense sense of discipline, your unwavering faith in God. How did all that get started? What was what, what, was, your, what was your family life like? Well, I, I think I was very fortunate to have a mom and dad that taught me about Christ. They taught me about the Lord Jesus, but they also taught me to never give up and to go out and work hard. You know, I was overweight as a little kid, and I always said my mom said I was big bone, which meant I was a little bit fat. And, and uh, you know, I was probably one of those kids that wasn't supposed to make it. But I was very fortunate to have parents that never let me quit and never let me feel sorry for myself. And I remember getting beat up the last day of school in eighth grade. And I went home, and uh, it's sort of like enough was enough. And I started working out and started uh reading books and my life changed my life changed and i think that sort of helped me to understand that you can't feel sorry for yourself you have to get up and start getting getting uh, getting involved and that's what i had to do and i started changing my life changed and so much started happening but what was so great about it is i didn't just do it alone you know i had my mom and dad and then i had coaches and 
I had so many other people that helped me that I knew I had to reach back and help other people. Yeah. Because I, I do believe that if God has blessed you, you got to reach back and bless other people as well. But what, what were your parents like? My parents were hardworking people. You know, my mom only went to the 11th grade, but, uh, you know, she was a she she was a praying woman. And my father, you know, he only went to the third grade. He was his father was killed when he was young. And he stopped uh, school and went out and raised his, uh, his, his mom and his sisters. So my father taught his boys and his, his daughters how to work hard. He taught us how to never give up and never quit. And my father, it was amazing that he only went to the third grade, but in math and mathematics, he was absolutely a genius. And so he never, he never quit. He never complained. And I think that's another thing that was so special that as I look back over my life, you know, my parents had seven kids. And I, I remember after hard, working hard, almost every day after they were working hard, they would come home. And no matter what the kids were doing outside, they would go out and sort of participate with us. They'll go out and play with us and stuff. And I never, ever have heard my parents ever complain. And it is amazing that... And, and I look back and that was something that happened one day and it sort of hurt my feelings a lot because my mom, is she was at that time, she was probably in her upper, uh, almost 70 something. And we were starting to play this little basketball game. And my mom said that she wanted to play with us. And I wouldn't pick her to be on my side because my mom, I'm like, my mom can't play basketball. She's terrible. And, you know, we'll lose with my mom. So I didn't pick her. And we end up, I don't know how we end up playing, but a couple of years later, I was thinking about it. And I realized how selfish I've been because I wanted to win so much that my mom in her 70s still wanted to play with us and I wouldn't let her play because I wanted to win. And I said, man, sometimes you have to stop for a moment and appreciate people, you know, because, you know, my mom have taught, she taught us all that. And yet, because my, my, innate that I'm going to win. I want to win. I want to conquer that. I didn't let my mom participate with me. And it bothered me for a little while. And I apologized to her, but that's the way my family were. My family, we were people that we, we are praying family. We're church going family. We work hard during the, during the week and, and during the weekend we go to church and, and, and that's the way we were. Yeah. That's, that's so special for the kids. I know I was, I was incredibly busy as a pediatric neurosurgeon. Uh, doing 500 cases a year, and wow! But and you know, you're a big fan. You know, I'm a big fan of yours. <laughs> and I've always been. And you may not know, Doctor Carson, but you know, we met each other uh, when I was in Academy of Achievement yeah. years years ago. No, I remember. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we don't want to say years ago. We're not that old. You were the first one in the academy, I think, uh, who was a student who came back as an honoree. Yes, that's, that's, you're exactly right. But but with, with my kids, because I was so busy, I took them with me every place. I was giving talks you know, all over the world, and I always made sure, instead of an honorarium, that my family could come with me. Oh. So my kids had frequent flyer cards to every airline, and they traveled all over the place. <laughs> Well, that's special, though. That is so special because, you know, hanging out with your parents, no matter what they were doing, it, it just made it made you feel great. And, you know, my mom always, my mom and dad were always dragging us to church. We always <laughs> were dragging to church. And 
And you know, in, in the South, when you go to church, you go to church. You, know you go at nine o'clock and you don't get out to four in the afternoon because they don't they don't have a they they have Sunday school and then they take a little bit of a break and then you go right back to church and the pastor don't seem to want to ever quit preaching. Exactly. So he keeps going. I think the longer he preaches, he think he make more money doing that way. But <laughs> but we're in church all day long. Well, who are who are some of the people that you looked up to growing up? Uh, this is going to be interesting. You know, I, I, everyone look at me as an athlete, but I didn't never, I never watched sports growing up as a little kid. Mm. So the two people I looked up to was uh, Jesus Christ and my mom and dad. Amen. <laughs> I never, I never, I never saw sports growing up as a little boy. So I didn't have any sports heroes, and you know, I didn't look up to super. I never watched comic books or read comic books. So my my two heroes were my mom and dad, and then the Lord Jesus. So he was a, he was a, so that was it. Well, I, I'm ask you something that may be a little controversial, but uh, do you think in this country we pay a little much too much attention to sports stars and and movie stars? <laughs> uh, we do we do pay too much attention to them, and and that's what's sad because. You know, for myself, I see so many sports stars and movie stars that today, they sometimes say that they're not a uh, role model. And I say, I beg to differ with you there. When you're taking any uh, money from uh, from the public, you're a role model. And kids are watching you. Kids are looking at you. I don't care who you are. Adults. Kids are always watching. And you got to present yourself the best you can. And, and you got to let kids know that they can make it as well. You know, if you made it, but you got to let them know it's going to be hard. You know, don't let, don't tell them it's going to be easy. Things are difficult that they're going to fail at some things, but just know that they can get up. And I think that's one thing they got to realize that they can, they got to fail, but they can get up, but you got to keep moving forward. Mm. You got to keep going forward. And that's what you got to do. It's got to be, it can be so positive, you know, if it's done the right way, because, you know, I look at all the attention that, Colin Kaepernick got and some others kneeling and things like this. But what what if those same athletes got together and went out and kneeled at the site where a young boy was killed in Chicago every weekend? Think about the impact that could have. Well, and you know, think about this is think about the price if you go to some of the the grave site all young men and women of service in the military that fought for the freedoms and the liberties that we have in this country here. And that's what I tell people. I said, guys, you know, there's people that gave up so much. They sacrificed so much. That's one thing that I've had the pleasure of doing is for the almost 15 years, I, I helped to start this program and be a part of this program called Patriot Support. And it would try to remove the stigma of mental health from the, from the military. And I see young men and women that do some amazing things for this country, but they sacrifice, mm -hmm. not just sacrifice playing a sport, meaning if you lose, you go home with your ball, you're mad. These people sacrifice their life. Yeah. Meaning they give up their life, and they, by them giving up their life, they hurt their families, they hurt their friends, they hurt their so many of this generation that is affected by this person giving up his life for the freedoms and liberties that they pay for us to have here. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I said that's what that's what that's what bothers me sometimes because I said, guys, I was I was blessed. I was the blessed to go out and play football because people forget ten years before I got to the University of Georgia, ten years before I got to the University of Georgia, the first black players played at the University of Georgia. That's right. 
Do you know what they went through mm -hmm. to give me a path to go to the University of Georgia and for me to win a Heisman Trophy Amen. at the University of Georgia? And I said, so I have to show respect for those players and for the next generation coming after me. Absolutely. Because if I don't do that, I destroy everything that those players did before I got there. Well, see, you're talking about perspective. And a lot of people don't seem to have that anymore. You know, I, I think about, I'm, I'm glad you brought up about the veterans because, you know, today happens to be the anniversary of D-Day. D-Day. And you think about all those young men, 16, 17, 18, a lot of them lied so that they could go and fight for our country. Yes. And landing on the beach of Normandy and being met by machine gun fire, mowed down. There's a hundred dead bodies laying there. There's a thousand dead bodies laying there. And yet, were they afraid? Did they turn back? Yes, they were afraid, but they didn't turn back. They stepped over the dead bodies and overwhelmed the Axis forces, knowing in many cases that they would never see their loved ones or their homeland again. Obviously, they didn't do it for themselves. They did it for us. And that's what you're talking about. That's what you're talking about with the athletes. And that's why it's so hard when I saw them kneel, uh, uh, put this the flag of the national anthem down, and it's like, guys, I spent time with these young men and women that they went over and sacrificed, and they had to see things like like something like that. They had to see bodies. They had to see that. They had to see their friends. And some of them can't handle that, and some of them could. And those that can't handle it, they, they, they're hurt. They are scarred inside. And they hide it because they're ashamed. And I'm like, there's nothing to be ashamed. But yet we're putting down the greatest country in the world. Absolutely. Greatest. Well, we're going to have to take a very short break right here. But we'll be right back with the one and only Herschel Walker. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All right, and we're back with uh, Herschel Walker. Herschel, tell, tell me, it must have been hard. Uh, what kept you motivated? Well, I think my Christian belief, uh, you know, it, 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 it is strange because I, I talk about this. When I was 16, you know, uh, I left home. And, you know, I never drank. I never tasted beer in my life. I didn't go out to clubs. I never really went out. And my mom knew the way I was, and she gave me this old King James Bible. And she said, Bo, my nickname is Bo. She said, Bo, you carry this with you. And she used to say that, you know, you'll never be alone. I've traveled all over the world, and I've always, always had this Bible with me that I've always been okay. And then, you know, that was sometimes I used to say, because, you know, you see guys going out, they seem to be having fun and laughing, and I'm in my room, I'm reading or doing something. I used to say, Lord, when is it my time? 
Like, when is it my time? Or when is my family going to be okay? And I used to always say, Lord, you tell me when. And then I realized the Lord was saying, Hershey, it's always been your time. you just been looking at the wrong thing. And he was right. That so many gifts the Lord was giving me, but I was so concerned about this world and earthly stuff that seeing what they were doing and thought that was good that I didn't realize how great a time I was having mm. and stuff and how well I was blessed. And that's why uh, my life changed and it opened so much up to me. That And I, and I, I really appreciate it. That's why I, say I appreciate my, my mom and dad so much. I love them so much. And and people like yourself who have gone through, you you blaze a trail down that can help everybody of like myself to know how hard it was and that it it motivates me that I can do something like that. I can I can get up and do it like that. Yeah. Well my mother was uh as you know, a person of great faith also. And it really didn't matter what was going on. She would always say, God will get us through this. Yeah. And you know what? She was right. <laughs> he always yes. did. And it's it's one of the things that gives me hope about our country right now, uh, because I know a lot of people have sort of given up and they say, you know, we're just going down the tubes and, and you know, we don't have any common sense anymore. We just do stupid stuff and we inflict wounds on ourselves. And but, you know, I, I, I look at the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and, uh, you know, if God was willing to save them for 10 people. <laughs> we should be okay. Yeah, that's it. We, we just have to trust them and we have to keep working, recognizing that, you know, our country is a country that's very reactive. It, it shouldn't be, but it is. It's very reactive. Yeah. And uh, so uh, there's going to be a massive reaction to what's going on now. I just hope it isn't so far to the to the right that, you know, we start trying to legislate morality and stuff like that. Yes. Well, your show is called that. That's right. Do what your show is called, common sense. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we got we got our work cut out for us. There's no question about that. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in how you got involved in so many different sports. I mean, not only were you a super uh, football player, but you—, you actually went to the Olympics and bobsleigh. How in the world did that happen? Yo, I, uh, working hard, not giving up. Uh, and, and, and I tell people this, you know, uh, and people also don't remember, I was one of the fastest guys in the world at one time as well. And it's just that, you know, there's no limitation to God's grace. There's no limitation. And you you believe, you have faith, and you work. You know, people sometimes pray and think God going to throw it out of the sky, going to hit them on the head, and then everything is okay. I said, no, it doesn't work like that. You got to get up and you got to do something. You know, people start praying that God will bring me money so I can buy a car, but yet he give you a job. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wait, I didn't ask for that. No, God don't give you what you want. He give you what you need. And that's what people got to understand, and that's what... I think with me is I never, I don't put limitation on myself. If I'm supposed to do it, I pray about it. And then I go out and I do it. And and I say, I don't turn back. I don't have doubt because I said, there's no doubt. Satan got my playbook. He got all our playbook. They try to make you quit, but I just go full, full steam ahead. And I didn't know nothing about bobsledding, but I did know how to compete. <laughs> 
So I went and competed, and I ended up making the Olympic team. That's fantastic. Now, um, you know, speaking of teams and team sport, you know, uh, Cal Ripken told me once, he said, 90% of CEOs play team sports, and 90% of prison inmates didn't. <laughs> Would you agree with something like that? I would totally agree with that because you got to know how to work with people. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to know how to work with people. You got to know how to uh, do that. And, and people that uh, think it's just about them, they have problems. You know, when you realize that you got it, you need, we need each other. Yeah. You know, like when everything happened what, with this pandemic, people need people. You need that type of communication because that helps survival. I think they help you to survive. And you know that there's someone's there and you have that closeness. And 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 that's what, I, so I totally agree with that statement. Well, you know, I was uh, I was having uh, breakfast with one of your old buddies uh, several years ago, Tom Landry. <laughs> and uh, he was telling me how many of the Cowboys had big financial problems and he had to bail them out. And uh, Tony Dungy told me the same thing. Yes. Why is that? Because, you know, you got to remember, you're taking young men that have been told their whole life how to go to bed, what time to go to bed, what time to do this, what time to do this, what time to do this here. And then they give them five, ten million dollars and put them out on the street and tell them to live. Well, if they haven't taught them how to live, they don't taught them how to play sports. They can't do it. And I, I say that to sometime. I say, guys, you can give people that that have no education a lot of money and they may get rid of the money but you teach them how to handle the money they will keep the money and I said that's what we they we need to do with athletes you need to teach them how to handle money so I was very fortunate that my mom and dad we never had anything so they taught me what the value of a dollar like you know first time uh I was gonna buy a car you know and I and they did you know and I was at that time, one of the highest paid athletes in the world, I was going to buy a car. First thing my dad had said was, do you really need that car? <laughs> you need that car? To, yeah, that car is pretty expensive. You really need that? And, oh, dad, okay. So I didn't buy that expensive car. I went and bought like an uh, inexpensive car. He said, because he said, you know, you got to remember, you got to have that money for a long time. Mm-hmm. And th- that is true. He was a wise man. And uh, and you know, remember, my father just graduated the third grade, but he taught me how to handle my money. And I said, that's what we got to do with entertainers and athletes. Mm-hmm. A dollar is really not a dollar when you have to pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, people got to realize that a dollar is not a dollar. You got to pay taxes. And, you know, a dollar in today's world is not going to take you that far. Yeah. So you got to know how to budget. And you got to know all that. I think your dad and my mother must have went to the same school. Because <laughs> she, she didn't quite finish the third grade, but, boy, she was a genius when it came to handling money. <laughs> yes. No, my father knew how to handle money. Yeah, and I, I, I felt sorry one time because she bought a car. She, she would never buy used cars. She would save every penny, every dime, and, and drive a car until it wouldn't move, and then she'd go buy a new car. And people would always wonder, how can this woman afford to buy a new car? But she knew how to scrimp and to save. And one time, I remember she got this uh, car dealer fired. 
because he gave her too good a deal. Oh. <laughs> because, you know, they would be trying to drive a hard deal, and then she would reach in her purse and pull out a few thousand dollars, and they they would look at that, and there's no way they wanted that to walk out the door. Because <laughs> yeah, you know how to negotiate. She absolutely knew how to negotiate. But, but you know, you went after your um, athletic career. You started a business, didn't you? I did. I did. I started a chicken business, and I started this business by mistake. You know, I didn't know anything about chicken, but I started a little chicken business. And what was so funny about it is I said, this is a great idea. I can hire family members. I can give them money. I can hire all these people from the University of Georgia. I started thinking of all these bright ideas. And none of those ideas turned out the way I wanted them to turn out, which meant now I got to run this business. So for almost five years, almost every day, five days a week, I was at a food show like a street vendor somewhere in the United States of America, where I would go in, I would set up my little booth, then I would fry the chicken up and stuff, and then I'd display the chicken at this booth. People would come by, and I would take pictures because they liked me because I was a football player. I would sign autographs. They will write an order for me. they write me out an order, and I think I'm selling all this chicken. And then all of a sudden, when the show is over, I try to break down the booth real fast. I try to rush to the airport. And sometimes I will miss the flight because you know I got there too late, so I missed the flight. So now I got to stay overnight in the airport where I was sleeping in the airport. And I didn't have to do that, but I was running my little business. And all of a sudden, I would get home, and I would look at the orders that I that I sold, and the people would cancel that order. Mm. They canceled that order on me and stuff. And they did me like that for years. But I didn't get up. I didn't give up. I didn't quit. And all of a sudden, someone gave me an opportunity, gave me a chance. And by them giving me a chance, that company today is one of the largest minority-owned food service companies in the United States of America. But what that meant is I'm supposed to go out and help other people as well. Just because I have done well doesn't mean that I just sit there and just do it myself. That guy that helped me showed me how I can go out and help someone else. So my company is trying to help others as well. You also demonstrated a key factor in success. And that is perseverance. You don't give up just because it's it's hard. Yes. You, know, you you learn from. I don't know anybody, quite frankly, who's been highly successful, who didn't have some failures along the way, who didn't have some really big problems, but they learn from them yes. rather than giving up on them. And, and I tell it, kids that all the time. I say, guys, I'm gonna tell you something you may not want to hear, but you're gonna fail. But don't quit. You know, don't quit. Don't quit. Just because you fail at this, don't quit. You keep you keep going because you never know. I said, well, if you quit on the, off that, you know, you're never going to be any good. You you keep going forward. You pick yourself up. You keep moving forward. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't. Well, you know that that was actually the next question I was going to ask you. What do you tell young people? <laughs> you you got to that before, but that's uh, you know I tell my son that you know I I, I love him to death. I love my little. But he graduates next week. Oh, uh, next, great! He's going to be graduating UCLA. But I, I oh you met you met yes. Christian. Yes, I met, met your Christian. son. He graduated UCLA. But I I tell Christian. I told Christian this, and these are my exact words. As Christian, I have put a target on your back. I said, and I'm so sorry. I said, I'm so sorry. But I said, I put a target on your bike that everybody's going to look at you to be better. Mm-hmm. So if you really want it, you got to get up early in the morning to get it. I said, so if somebody that you're competing against is getting up at three in the morning, you may have to get up at two 
Mm-hmm. If they get up at two, you got to get up at one. They get up at one. You don't go to sleep. That if you want it. Now, if you don't want it, it's okay. But I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot, cannot just be like average. Right. There's too many people average today. There's too many people that want to be average. You got to be above average. And I said to have success and to be at that pedestal, you got to see something somebody else may not see and work and get it. And I said, it ain't going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to fail. But because you have my blood in you, you don't quit. Absolutely. No question about it. Now, what do you see as some of the big biggest problems going on in our country today? I think some of the biggest problems going on in our country today, we have so many celebrities telling people that they can't do it. Telling a lot of people, oh, you know, it's you can't do it. Like, you got to feel bad for yourself, feel sorry for yourself, which is sad to me. That you're a victim. Yeah. You know, they've done it, but they're telling you you can't do it. And it's like, God, you did it. Why they can't do it? I think to tell our kids that, uh, that you know, they can't do it or to tell our, making our kids feel sorry for themselves and uh, not having it, don't want to educate them. I think education is, and from, you know, Senator Scott, education is an equalizer. And I take that from him. And it's totally true. And I tell people, I didn't feel good about myself because of athletics. I felt good about myself because I was able to read and communicate with people from other places. When I was able to go to these other places, I was able to communicate with them that we can understand each other. Had nothing to do with my football or my track career, but I was able to communicate with people. So I think education is so important. So that's what's going wrong with us today. We're forgetting about the education of our young people. We're forgetting about keep continuing to give our young people that faith that we had growing up. So they have the faith in their religion, whatever religion it is. You know, I love the Lord Jesus. But here in this country here, you can believe in whatever faith you want to believe in. I just love the Lord Jesus. He's good for Herschel Walker. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you who to believe in, but here in America, you can have whatever faith you want. Absolutely. And that's and that was hard fought for. You know, when the, when the Puritans got here, uh, starting about 1630, you know, they tried to make everybody believe the way they wanted them to believe. And, you know, we went through some struggles when it came to freedom of religion, but it was actually T.J., Thomas Jefferson, who said, you know, uh, religion is a good thing if everybody can have their own. And, you know, we don't need to be putting religion into government or government into religion. Yeah. And, you know, that was the, the beginning of the whole conversation about separation of church and state. It yes. didn't mean that you can't live out your faith. And people have hijacked the ideal of separation of church and state to try to make people think you're not supposed to be able to manifest your religious beliefs in the way that you live. And that's just not true at all. Well, people try to interpret what they want to make it fit their narrative. That's what it is. They want yeah. it to fit what they want to say instead of having the truth. And and that's another thing is people got to get the truth right now. You know, people not seeing the truth, and that's and that's how we got to educate our young people is on the truth. What advice do you have for uh, a young black individual who who has conservative thinking? Well, I would tell him to continue to educate himself on everything, not just, you know, I think that's one of the things that, first of all, don't look at the media. 
Educate yourself through reading. Educate yourself through your knowledge and have your own beliefs because people want to continue to talk about conservative or, or whatever. And it's like, you know, determine who you are because I remember my grandfather growing up. I remember, uh, and and I asked my mom about this. I said, I remember my, his name, Afford. I called him Daddy Afford. I said, I remember when it was time to vote, these people used to come down and they used to talk to him. They only talked to him at that time. They told him about all this. And they and, and I remember him sitting out there at the courthouse eating crackers like that. I don't know whether they bought the crackers or whatever it was. And then he go in there and vote. And he, he probably voted Democrat. And she said, yeah, he probably did. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, well, it's weird. What about his own views, though? What did he think? Because... They only saw him that one time. They never came down to see him anymore. But they only seen him for that one vote. And I said, that's why a conservative, I want you to have your own views. I want you to have your own thoughts. So educate yourself on what's best for you. Mm -hmm. And look at it. Look at it. Just look. Don't go by what someone else is telling you. Go by what you see. Because people have good sense. And they know. Well, that that is such important advice and really so often it's consistent with your own views you just don't know it right yeah. <laughs> i remember um you know i was very liberal extremely liberal i grew up in detroit a very liberal city and boston a very liberal city and, and then new haven connecticut a very liberal city and then ann arbor michigan a very liberal city and then baltimore maryland very liberal so i was liberal and 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 then one day I did something a liberal not supposed to do. I listened to a conservative. Oh, <laughs> that conservative was Ronald Reagan, and uh, I said, "He sounds just like my mother." <laughs> oh, <laughs> all the same things he was saying. Well, you know what? What was funny with me is when I was sixteen, something happened. Uh, you know, I, at that time I was uh, becoming this great athlete. And uh, there was a big racial thing happened in my hometown where this kid who was an African-American kid did something to this white principal. And so they wanted me to stand up for this black kid. And, I, and, and all of a sudden, every African-American leader, black leaders from all over the country came to Wrightsville, Georgia, my little town. Mm -hmm. All the Ku Klux Klan came to Wrightsville, Georgia, because you know, I was one of the top recruits. And they thought that's how I can get publicity. So... Everybody was there, and they asked me to, uh, some of the black leaders of Hershey, get out of sports. If you get out of sports, that's going to speak volume. You get out of sports, that's going to speak volume. Walk away from sports and and this and that. And my parents, they said, you know, Bo, uh, you got to do what's right. Say, there's no, there's no color in right and wrong. There's no color in right and wrong. And they said, uh, you know, this is your decision. I was 16. They left it up to me and said, this is your decision. And. And I didn't get out of sports. I didn't walk away. And I just said, that, you know, and I told the kid, I said, you know, you're wrong. And you need to admit it. And everybody was upset with me. And I always say to people, I said, guys, God is so good because what if I went in the other direction? Where would I be at today? Mm -hmm. So where would I be at today? And I said, what's strange is it had nothing to do with conservative or liberal. It had to do with what was right. Right and wrong. Right. And I said, that's what you look at today. 
it, you can see it before your eyes. I don't have to tell you. Why do I need to tell you? Sort of like when I talk to some kids sometimes, I say, why do I need to tell you don't be taking drugs? You really know you shouldn't do drugs. Why do I need to tell you that? Why do I need to tell you you shouldn't smoke if you want to be an athlete? You know you shouldn't do that. But what I need to tell you is how hard it's going to be. What I need to tell you that don't think about the destination. Think about the journey getting there. That's mm -hmm. what I need to tell you. These things here, I don't need to tell you. So that's why I said, why do I need to tell you what's right and what's wrong? Amen. That should be easy. You are speaking my language. <laughs> I love to hear it. Um, we will be right back with some closing thoughts uh, from Herschel Walker. And then following that, our prescription for the week. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we're back with more common sense. This week's honored guest, Herschel Walker. And uh, Herschel, let me ask you a question that uh, is on a lot of people's minds these days. And uh, a lot of it came out of the state of Georgia, where uh, there were those who were saying that there were a lot of policies that restricted people's ability to vote. Um, First of all, is it is it true? And secondly, what do we need to do about it? Well, first of all, it's not true. Uh, you know, that was not, and that's what's so sad, is uh, that was not one policy that restricted any black person to vote who wanted to vote. And that's what was so sad. And, and I, uh, I want to get involved more because I say I want people to know that it is sad to me that we continue to try to do things to hurt people's feelings because we want their votes. We want to make people very emotional to hurt people's feelings and make them feel like they can't do something because we need their votes. And then you get their vote, but you don't do anything to help people. And my thing was, if you felt that there was something wrong, why don't you try to be proactive rather than reactive? You know, one of the first things <clears throat> that was sad to me to hear about, you know, I was not uh, I was not smart enough to get an ID. <laughs> and I said, uh, my grandfather, if he was alive today, would be 120-something years old. He had an ID. And instead of we putting people down for not having an ID, why don't we help them to get an ID to help them better their way of life? Yeah. That's what we want to do. We want to better that way of life. You don't have an ID. You don't. You can't have a bank account. You can't. You can't get a job. You can't fly on an airplane. You can't do anything. So why don't I help you, and be more proactive rather than reactive? But then it's this political world that we're into, that people want to put others down so they can get your vote, but yet they're not going to do anything to help you. That's exactly right. And you know, thank you for continuing to emphasize such an important point, and that is the difference between right and wrong. You know, as as we've moved on in this country, what we've seen is 
people trying to replace faith in God with faith in government. And uh, in the process, our moral compass seems to have been affected. And uh, you, you see family structure falling apart, particularly in the black community. And, and what I find interesting is you have a lot of people talking about the wealth gap between blacks and whites, five to 10x. And it's true, it does exist. But uh, as, as I emphasized in my latest book, Created Equal, if you look at Nigerian families that live here, Ghanaian families that live here, there's little or no wealth gap. Now, what is it about those families? For one thing, a bachelor's degree is the baseline. That's sort of where you start. And there's tremendous emphasis on family structure. And if you look at traditional Black American families who have those same values, there's little or no wealth gap there either. So maybe we're looking at the wrong thing. Maybe when we want to blame everything on, on systemic racism, maybe we should uh, do a little deeper dive and see what we can do about bringing some some meaningful reform in terms of family structure, in terms of education and, and how that, and, and let's put more emphasis on how we fund education because there is a problem with how we fund education in this country. We, we have a tendency to use a millage formula so that uh, if you live in a wealthier area, you have much better uh, supplied schools and, and, and that kind of perpetuates you know, a, a system of inferior education. We really need to be examining how we make sure that our future generations are well-educated because we only have 330 million people. That's yeah. a quarter of what China has, a quarter of what India has. We got to compete with them. We can't waste any of our people. <laughs> we got to educate them all extremely yes. well. And you know, another thing you mentioned it is, you know, we have also have our uh, African American brothers and sisters that once you have made good for yourself, go back into those communities to help educate the young people as well. That you can be me. You can do this as well because they need some uh, inspiration as well. Not just to look at some person on television that they can't reach, but look at where you're from that I can do that as well. And I think that is very, very important that we do that because I said that I remember what they used to call Black Wall Street and they was in that community working. And I said, we now have, and you said it, we now have how you, you generation your wealth well, we have to be accountable for ourselves, for our, and we can do that. Mm -hmm. But we got to trust in each other. Absolutely, and and put our energies in the right places. One of the things that we do at the Carson Scholars Fund is we put in reading rooms all over the country. We just opened the two hundred fifty third one, and uh, mostly in Title One schools where kids come from homes with no books or a few books, and the schools have poorly funded libraries. And these are like little sanctuaries with beautiful books in them. And, uh, you know, they get incentives to read those books. And in, in first, they do it for the prizes and stuff. But, of course, it has an impact on their academic performance as time goes on. And that's what we need to be thinking about because if you can get a child reading by grade level at grade three, it completely changes the trajectory of their lives. 
So, but you have been an, an amazing role model. And, uh, you know, I hope God continues to bless you richly. Uh, we need you. You're an important part of Americana. And I thank you for being here. And we'll be back in one minute with closing thoughts. Well, I think as you can see from the program today, the success and the life of uh, Herschel Walker, it wasn't built overnight. It wasn't by accident. And it certainly wasn't easy. But uh, I want you to think this week about some goals that you want to accomplish. You can see that Herschel Walker set goals in his life. And you have to have a goal. So think about three goals that you want to accomplish in the next six months. But not only what you want to do, but what do you need to do in order to accomplish those goals? You know, that's why we have these very sophisticated brains. If you look at an animal brain versus a dog's brain, for example, and this is nothing against dogs, so don't anybody get offended and think I'm talking about dogs. But uh, animals have a very well-developed midbrain, which is for reacting. People have very well-developed frontal lobes, engage in rational thought processing. We can take information from the past, integrate it with information from the present, project it into the future. A year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, we can do that. And we need to start exercising that capacity, not acting like animals, just reacting but actually planning and strategizing and using a brain that was made in the image of God. So I hope you enjoyed our time together today with uh, Herschel Walker. And uh, please subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, never miss an episode. Remember to rate and review us. Let your friends and relatives know. Pass on the information because we all have to make common sense common once again. And we'd like to hear from you. If you got any questions, uh, send them to me at ben at americancornerstone.org. We'll try to answer them on the show, keep them short, and uh, write podcast in the subject line. And until next week, remember to treasure the cornerstones of faith, liberty, community, and life. See you next week.